let's face it, Brit happens. Success is rarely a straight line. It's a journey with many twists, turns, potholes, and unwelcome detours. The secret, however, lies in how we react. Keep listening to learn how to effectively respond to life's curveballs, improve your resilience, and how winners pivot from setbacks to success. I'm your host, Brittany Sharpton. Let's get started. I'm super excited to welcome Dave Salvat, who is the co-founder and president of Squire, a barbershop tech startup that sells software to barbershops. Welcome, Dave. Hi, thanks for having me, Brittany. So, Dave, you grew up in Coney Island, Brooklyn, New York. Yes. So when I think of Coney Island, no offense, all I think about are Nathan Corndogs and Ferris wheels. So what was it like growing up in Brooklyn? I mean, it was it was difficult. Um, you know, the only people that made it out of Coney Island was probably like Stefan Margrave. Uh, <laughs> you know, so so it was it was a rough upbringing. Uh, we didn't have any resources. We relied heavily heavily on on, on the church and you know handouts and stuff like that. Real real poor, uh, single mom type of deal. So reinforced the importance of family. Reinforced the the importance of purpose because uh, you only have each other and that's the only way you're going to make it. So how many siblings do you have? I have two sisters. Oh my God. You're definitely the favorite. Two uh, sisters. Maybe. maybe I not. mean, I'm the oldest of three. My brother's in the middle. We all have an excellent relationship, but he's, I mean, by default. I'm in the middle too. So I'm the middle. Oh, for sure. Yeah. The middle and the boy. Yeah. They love you. Yeah, they do. My- <laughs> And now, and now both of them work for my company. So it's, it's great. It's a great uh, situation where now, you know, we, I can put them in a position where they can excel and also are happy and kind of like a, a family business, but not so quite. Right. I love it. A family business of a hundred plus. Yeah. People. Yeah. Let's do. yeah. We're a little more than that now, but. Uh, okay. Like yeah. straight me the horn. How, how many last thing I read was a hundred. Now you're at. Uh, probably like over way over 100 like 150 probably gonna be like two 250 at the end of the year so oh, we're wow. going fast we're, we're trying to um you know make sure we hit all the bases in terms of like employees and headcount mm-hmm. and um filling the roles that need to be filled so you touched upon your upbringing from a single parent household was your mom really strict and what type of student were you i mean my mom's from jamaica so, so she's, she's a Western So she really put a strong emphasis on God in school. She would have been happy if I was a, a school teacher. She wanted us to be happy, more, more, most important. Um, and she didn't think happiness was derived from financial success. As long as you could take care of your, you know, your bills, you could live a comfortable life. That was, uh, her version of success and happy and, 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 and family. And, and things like that. But she did put a strong emphasis on, on schoolwork, made sure all our schoolwork was done. I applaud her for that. Uh, what type of student I was? I was uh, kind of like a, a B-ish student, you know, you know? So, you know, I didn't have the best grades, but they definitely weren't the worst. You know, I kind of just, you know, coasted through, I would say. Um, and that's just because I didn't put that much from, early, from an early age. I didn't put tremendous amount of emphasis on education because I believe, you know, I always kind of thought I want to do my own thing at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. 
So, you know, I was always looking, you know, for hustles and, and stuff like that. I do agree with your mom in the sense as much as I love, like I love money just like anyone else, but she is right in terms of the happiness aspect. But mm-hmm. she didn't realize that you wanted to be the own wolf of Wall Street, hence why you got your BA in political science, you yeah. interned at the Capitol, you were like, politics and law is not for me at this. So... Mm-hmm. Fast forward. Yeah, I just find out information like you're like a big snoop, huh? Nah. <laughs> but 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 the date was coming. I have to be prepared. Yeah, so I didn't want to do that. I end up, you know, getting a job, you know, uh, at a small, you know, marketing company in like Rockland County. Didn't really like that very much. It was just this was in 2008, so shit was rough. Was you know, rough. like like yeah. every, everything you had to. Whatever you can get, you took. I think I think the the job was paying thirty seven thousand dollars a year. You know, it was something. It was employment, and when you're like twenty two, it didn't it didn't freaking matter. You know, <laughs> I, I thought that was all the money in the world you know, when you have no bills. So I, I think that happened. I did that first, and then you know, at that time I was living in Rockland County. I moved to the Bronx, the Bronx, South Bronx. And then I started, you know, going out downtown, miss the, uh, mingling. First of all, okay, so let me take a step back. <laughs> in, in between, when I was living in Rockland County, I had the idea to become a promoter in, okay. in New York City. So, so we used to, you know, promote parties. We had, uh, uh, and actually, this started probably when I was in college. Uh, we had this big bash and Labor Day bash at, at Boulevard in New York City. I don't know if you remember Boulevard. Oh my God, but- I do. You were one of those people. Yeah, I was. I was. It was right where Lower East Side, uh, I forgot what it is now, but it's a Thai restaurant. But Boulevard was all the rage. And I remember in 2007, we had this big party. We had Mr. Vegas there, (laughs) Mr. C there. I actually invested my student loan money in the party. Oh my and, god! And, and and you know the ref the Pell grant the refund grant. I, I mean, I made a decent amount of money, but it was high risk, high reward. Like we had a line around the block. The fire marshals came, you know. And I, I feel like that's every body's, every kid's, you know, first hustle. Oh, let's do parties, and and, and there's money to be made in it. But you know, I did that for you know a couple of years during college and to make some extra pocket change. I actually bought some artists to Albany as well for, through the you know they have these black student unions. Mm-hmm. I, I brought them. I brought them up to to the school. You know, made a little. You made some. You know, a little vig off of that. So you know, I was always keeping busy uh, with my entrepreneur hat on. You know, after that, I kind of got serious and like this is not scalable to where I needed to go, and I can't just be in the clubs. The rest of my life. <laughs> so I decided to, you know, after, you know, working at this marketing firm, I decided to, you know, go into finance. That, those throughout this, meeting people in the city, those were the guys that were making money. I felt like, you know, I needed to be there uh, where the action was. So, you know, I took a job, you know, at JP Morgan Chase. Mm-hmm. I worked my way up and I became like a private, you know, banker for the wealth, wealthy on, um, you know, like, 55 in Park Avenue. So then I really got interested in like how, you know, money was made because you see all these finance guys and, you know, they have two, $3 million bonuses and from a kid from, you know, Brooklyn, that's, that's a lot of money. So I kept on asking them what they do. 
And then I took a job, you know, at uh, AXA, which is like a French insurer. And I was working on their, you know, distribution of their financial products. Their their um, customers were financial advisors. We sold to them. And then I helped develop the and launch a couple of financial products that, you know, were sold. From then, I started getting a little antsy, you know, thought the next possible step was business school, uh, which is kind of like the roadmap. And then, you know, around the time, you know, of 20, you know, 14, that's when the idea of Squire came about. So we kind of just busy professionals in New York City. We thought Song and I, my co-founder, thought, you know, it was very easy. We needed a better way to get a haircut. And that's kind of like the impetus of the idea was, how can we provide a solution for us as, as busy New York City professionals that had to go get a haircut every couple of weeks, you know, had to call your barber, text your barber, go to the barbershop, wait, sit down and get it and, and, and pay for it. You know, this is a time when Uber and Open Table and ZocDoc were taking off. And we, we said, you know, why couldn't this be applied to the barbershop industry, which it hasn't changed since since I was a kid. So the impetus and the genesis was was around like March 2014. We were toiling, toiling around with it. None of us were uh, essentially full-time. We were doing it on the side. You know, Song was a corporate attorney. He was working, you know, as attorney in New York City. He didn't have much time. I was working and, you know, I got accepted to the business school. And I was like, hey, this is the more safer route to go to the business school, you know, and then, you know, I went, I went to Wisconsin, very different culture shock. You know, I don't know if anyone knows about Wisconsin, but it's like 98% white. You know, I had some you know internships lined up and I was like, this shit ain't for me, you know? And during that time I was still working on Squire, you know, not really paying attention to class. And I was like, Hey, you know, I'm just going to go full time in January. So January 15th, I came back, went full-time, 100% on Squires. And then uh, we kind of grinded it out for like six months, seven months, Song and I, uh, until we got funded in January 15th. Right. So speaking of you being risky, investing your student loan money, the Pell Grant, you Mm -hmm. took another leap. Like you said, you didn't return for your second year. Mm -hmm. You decided to go full-fledged. I'm curious, did you meet um, Sanj when you were in Coney Island as a child or like No, it- no, no, no. I, I, I met Song uh while we were partying. We used to call them Models and Bottles, you know, you know, you know, and we that, just that Wait, what was the name of the I hate to backtrack. What was the name of the um promotion group, marketing group? Uh, SFM Productions. Okay. So focused movement, I think it was called. Oh my god. Yeah, totally yeah, early yeah. yeah, but you know, you know, we used to go and actually, you know, how I met Aram, our, our, our mutual friend, is I don't know, he probably told you a story. No, I was that was one of my questions because. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah, I met Aram when okay. he was, I think my boy JP was turning 25. Oh my God. Uh, That's your friend? Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, cool. Okay. We threw a party, and JP, I think, is one or two years older than me. So we were throwing a party. And you know, Aram was there, and there was a scuffle because he, he's white, and they were picking up, picking on him. Oh my god! Uh, at the party, and, and like you know, it, it, like what you doing? And then cats is rolling, rumbling outside of the club, you know. So it was interesting time. Experience of how yeah, you yeah, I mean, yeah, and that's one of my that's one of my closest friends uh, to this day. 
actually was one of the first employees on uh, working with Squire. So fast forward to, you know, where we are, started working on Squire, was lucky enough to get some funding. Yeah, I think the initial investment was like 300000 we received uh, back in 2015. And, you know, the, the rest is, is kind of history. So obviously when you hear Squire, you think, I mean, that's the second step to become a knight. But you were a big, or maybe wait—I never watched Game of Thrones actually, but that's mm. where the name. Yeah, that's that's where the the name came from, Game of Thrones. Name it barbershop.com. Uh, no, because I think from early on, you know, we thought this this could evolve into something else, and we're still in barbershops, but you know, it's probably going to evolve into more of a financial service company. It's already a fintech company, but for barbershops, but we didn't want to pigeonhole ourselves where we had to just focus on, on, on right. barbershop. So I, I think we did a good job, you know, and had the foresight back in 2014 to rename name it something broad. Okay, so I read somewhere where you or someone on your team was saying, which is probably true, barbershop business model is a little bit more convoluted than another small business. But in my mind, like you're saying, in terms of expansion, any, let's say, nail salon, any service based beauty industry, whether it's a spa, I think apply that same technology. So are you, is your niche intentionally men because they get neglected there or? Yeah, they get neglected and it's our opportunity. You can either be a, a master of none, you know, a, a jack of all trades and a master of none or really focus and own your industry. Mm-hmm. And that's what the goal is uh, right now is just to uh, own most of the barbershops in the world. And when you get that, it's a big business. I mean, we're already around a $260 million business now. And the goal is to be a billion dollar company within the next 18 months. So I think we can get to that within this vertical mm-hmm. uh, specifically. In that niche. So you purchased a barbershop to learn more intimately the operations, how it worked. Do you still have that shop? No, no. Um, it was kind of fortuitous how it came to be. But one of our customers uh, was going out of business and we took over the lease. Our our thought process around that is this can be like a test kitchen for all our crazy ideas. And and we learned a lot. And I think that's what gives us the competitive advantage versus, you know, other other competitors is we have. Oh, sorry. I, I agree. It's kind of like, I mean, the stereotypical response, a lot of franchise owners always work in the restaurant prior to purchasing or after purchasing. So what would you say for someone who's like, oh my God, I look up to Jay, this is in song, song, or song, song. Yeah. What would you say was the biggest lesson that you learned when you were deep diving in the ownership aspect of the barbershop? I mean, I think the most difficult component of, of, of running a barbershop and a small business is the people management. You know, people management is hard. You have so many different personalities in one setting all the time. How do you manage that? How do you keep egos in check? How do you motivate folks to do their job? You know, when oftentimes, you know, they're just artists or oftentimes it's part time, you know, you keep that energy and that that culture together. So that's kind of the, the most difficult component, I would say. But aside from that, it's a great I encourage every person to small start a small business because it, it's actually you're touching your community. And when you touch the community, you learn from the community and the community learns from you. And that's when you get, you know, that's when you have, you know, this magic that happens, you know. So I, I really believe in the small business ecosystem. I really believe it's the linchpin of, of the economy. 
And it's at the center point of most communities. So what I think most people would be interested in who are listening or watching, everyone knows there's a huge wealth and access to capital gap with people say minorities, but I'm going to focus on the Black community compared to the general community. You all were lucky enough to get financing pretty early on. I know you skipped over some of the hustle stories of in the coals, Mm -hmm. on the couch, blah, blah, blah. You probably said that a million times, but Mm -hmm. what I want you to talk about your experience in terms of access to capital, because I still think I still know that that's still a challenge and Mm -hmm. people kind of brush over it to try not to seem like, Hey, I'm woe is me. I'm black, but it's, it's a reality. So what were some of the challenges that you faced and how did you overcome? What was fortunate for us is, you know, we're in New York city and we're already professionals and black professionals. So we had this ecosystem of folks that made decent, decent money. You know, like, you know, 200, 250,000, you know, dollars as young adults, like 26, 27. So, so we had this network of people that can give us checks and a lot of people don't have that network. So I think we were fortunate to do that. But aside from that, I, I think access to capital is, is a problem, but there are a lot of funds out there. There's a lot of people investing in tech. There's a lot of people that sole mission is to fund minority, um, and black men and women, not even minority as a as a whole like land grab, but black and brown and women, black men and women. And I think you just have to go get it. I mean, the information is there. You got to be hungry. It's a little it's a little difficult now with COVID, but there's meetups. You build something and people will come. I think a lot of folks just like I got idea. I need money. That's not how it works. You know, people don't want to invest in a hobby. They want to see you have real traction, traction and traction attracts money. If you have traction, if you're building something, if people are using your product, you know, nobody's going to say, hey, that's a good idea. Let me get let me get fifty thousand dollars. I mean, that's very real. And people don't have we don't have that luxury as black folks unless you come from a, a rich uncle or something like that who would say, hey, do this and, and I'll give you some money. People really have to use what they have to get where they want to go. And I'm a believer in that. Show me something. Show me that you're hungry. Show me that you can do this. Show me that you're resourceful. Because this in this in this um, you know startup world and tech world, it is so critical that the founders have resilience, going to do whatever it takes to get the job done. Because you're gonna hear a lot of no's. You're gonna fail a lot of times. You're gonna fuck up. But what keeps you going is your determination and your grit. And that's the one qualifier. I'd say I look for when investing in companies. I would say what 85% of your time is focused on Squire and then 15%. Are you an angel investor? I would say like 10, 10 to 5%. I make decisions very quickly. I don't like, you know, hardborn decisions. I was like, hey, look, do I believe in this person? And that's basically it. What what separates uh, the good persons from the good investments from the bad investments is track record has this person been successful in something else you know because i think people when people are successful um and they risk everything to do something else that means they're super passionate and really successful people don't make dumb decisions i really believe that and i I invest in people okay and which you didn't say but alluded to you need to have some skin in the game obviously you need Mm -hmm. to 
track record, need a proven concept, it can be. What skin in the game that you guys have? I mean, clearly you have the grit and the tenacity, but what did you guys, you and Song? I mean, I think a refusal to give up. I, I think that that's getting the game. You're all 100 percent. You know, you go to zero and you say, no, I'm, you bite down on your mouthpiece and you just go, you know, like like that's a sports terminology. But, you know, when you get hit, you got to get up and you got to keep fighting. And and I think our secret source early on was that we didn't give up. You guys put any of your personal funds in? I wouldn't have any funds to, to put oh. in. So that's soup, you guys. That's very, I wouldn't say lucky, but the people who did believe in you. I know you have this higher than average network, network, mm. but still, those people clearly are not stupid. They had to see mm-hmm. something. They had to see something. They had to see a market. And it's a lot of luck, too. Like, I'm not going to lie to you. It's a lot of luck. The harder you work, the luckier you become. So, I totally agree. Yeah. So maybe it's not luck. Maybe it's correlation, but maybe it's God, you know, like, like telling you to do, maybe it's my mom praying all these years, but, (laughs) but but it was very interesting how it came about and we were able to get, you know, 300,000 and use that money to, you know, catapult, you know, where we are today. And that's, we raised over a hundred million dollars now. So, so it's, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, Everyone knows, COVID, for the most part, was detrimental to the economies globally. Revenues and barbershops went to zero. They rebounded, I think, probably a couple months. Like, you guys did fine. So what, what, like, we were talking about God, praying, luck, opportunity, tenacity, all meeting. What would you attribute to you being able to come up for air in the midst of covid Man, we were well capitalized. So at that point, we just raised our Series B. So we didn't really feel any pressure from a financial standpoint. Um, we just wanted to support our customers, develop products and services that made sense for them. So and help them in their time of need. So we waived the fees for a year for the rest of 2020. And you finance some of these companies, your customers, right? Yeah, yeah. We, we, we were a facilitator. We partnered with Goldman Sachs to be a facilitator of the PPP loans. Okay. We built, built a, a couple of products, such as the virtual waiting room, so folks didn't have to queue up in the barbershop and uh, encourage social distancing. Uh, we created an online waiver form to certify that the person hadn't been uh, in a COVID-affected region or had any symptoms in the last 14 days. We released a wireless payment system where uh, folks can pay for their appointments when it was booked um, instead of waiting to pay in a store. So again, encouraging social distancing, et cetera. So we launched those products within six weeks of, of, of March 17th or so. We really enabled our customers to have the tools and to fight this economic warfare uh, that was uh, placed on them by uh, COVID. So so we, we reacted really quickly. And, um, you know, I, I think uh, we did a good job or a decent job. Okay, the, the humility hit at the second, the decent job. I think he did an awesome job, clearly. So now, Dave, fire round. No thing, you make quick decisions, you say, so we're going to see. Uh-huh. What was the last thing that you ordered on Amazon? Uh, sheets. Okay, King or King, California King? Uh, it's my son's room. I ordered a twin. Oh, twin. Okay. <laughs> if you had a 100% chance of succeeding in anything, what would you attempt to do? Go to the moon. Astronaut. Uh-huh. Okay, yeah, I wasn't expecting. All right, so there's some sciency in you or adventure. 
I think I think space is the last frontier. Okay, this sounds like a um, movie. Okay, yeah. it's, it's, it's from uh, Star Trek. Go ahead. I, I was like, this is from something. Like I I don't watch any of those shows. Like, start like I watch. I love HGTV and like Food Network. Besides Brit Happens, what's your favorite podcast? Your second favorite? How I Built This. Oh my God, I love Guy Raz. How come you didn't join um, Song on there? I, was, I had a conflict that day. Can you share some of your mentors? Who are some of your mentors now? Uh, Linda Rosenberg, uh, CEO of Endeavor. Ken Chenault, hmm. uh, a former uh, CEO of Amex. I have some others. They just escaped, but those those clearly y'all are not top of mind. I'm just kidding. Oh, yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, oh, totally. I mean, <laughs> cool. I mean it, it, it's 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 like there's some there's some folks that like you know keep me grounded and don't let me get a big head. But I think I think mentors change, and you don't have formal like I'm not going to want to you know have a, a formal like hey this is my mentor no just have a call like no you don't want to you don't want to moralize it i think people go down the road and like oh this is my mentor or something like that and i don't think that's the way to go about it because you know it, when people hear mentor they hear time commitment and if your mentors are successful they don't have the time i think it's very important to like have casual relationships with people and then ask them feedback when you need the feedback, as opposed to have something locked in. Uh, that's just my theory. So I my day, but see, this is the equivalent of guys saying that why don't we put a title on things? It's the same thing that you're saying. It is the relationship is there. It's a mentor, but you don't want to say this is my girlfriend. Yeah, I mean, I, I I understand that completely, and I think that's the best way to go. Not in the other situations, oh, but I think maybe for some folks. But my, my, Michael Siebel is another one. So that's like, three, you know, really, you know, diverse folks were really super, super successful. We'll see what happens. What would you have told yourself or what would you tell yourself 10 years ago? To start earlier. I would have started a company 10 years ago. So we've been in this six years ago, six years now. I wish I would have been in, you know, 10 years. So you because, would have forgone business school and just yeah yeah I've forgone all that shit you know I think I think the 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 folks that start early I mean this is a ten year thing you know now we're seeing you know these companies starting in 2012 uh, Airbnb starting in 2010 I think Coinbase starting in 2012 2011 they're now going you know public so I think in order like I think. We're like a, a preteen right now in the startup years, preteen, you know, um, but we're growing fast and, you know, an adult is, you know, a couple of years away. So are you going to marry yourself off um, when you turn 18 and sell? I mean, probably go public IPO now. As you get larger in size, you know, there's only, there's, there's less and less people that can acquire you. Like, you know, public is, you know, an option. But as we grow bigger, it's becoming a more present option. Okay. How often do you get fresh and get a haircut? I used to go every week, you know, but I'm overdue for, for one now. In Miami, you know, it's it's a lot easier, you know. There are no they, rules here. Yeah, there's no rules. Well, I'm in Texas, so it's no rules here either. But, you oh, know. Well, for sure. Oh, where? In Houston? <laughs> Houston. Oh, my God. My brother's there. Hey, Houston. But Houston's always been wild. Now, obviously, the state of Texas and Georgia, everything is lifted. Mm-hmm. 
Anywho, Dave, thank you so, so much for your time. I enjoyed this extremely efficient conversation. You answered probably mm-hmm. half of the questions in your initial introduction. So if people want to find you online and get in contact with you, how can they find your IG or social media handles and contact? Yeah. It's just, it's just uh, Dave Salvant. Very simple. D-A-V-E-S-A-L-V-A-N-T on both uh, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, everything. So Salvant is a Jamaican name? No, it's a Haitian name. My dad's from Haiti. Oh, okay. I was just like, okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, Dave, thank you again. And hopefully I'll get a chance to see you in about a week. Yeah, sure. Yes, likewise. Enjoy the rest of your day. All right, bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you guys so much for checking out today's episode of Brit Happens. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, or Google. You can also find me online at www.brithappens.com. And on social media, Instagram or Facebook, at Brittany Sharpton. See you next time.